What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. Long before it was called social entrepreneurship, before Tom's Shoes, and even before we knew what a purpose-driven life was, there were a couple of guys who made ice cream, made millions, and did their best to make the world a better place. is Bizography, the show where we dive into the strange but true stories of iconic companies. Whether they're founded by mad geniuses, brilliant visionaries, or fun-loving hippies from Vermont, they all have a past worth knowing. I'm Dana Barrett. I'm a former tech executive and an entrepreneur, a TV and radio host, and over the course of my career, I've interviewed thousands of business leaders and reported on the bright beginnings and massive flameouts of the brands we know and love. Some of their stories are inspiring some get my blood boiling, and some are just plain weird. Today's show, though, is all about the inspiration. So much of the time, company histories focus on the who and the how, but with Ben and Jerry's, I think the most important part of their story is the why. Hanging out with me, as always, is my millennial interpreter, new guy Nick. What? Why am I the millennial interpreter today? Well, because I think this whole idea of including doing good in your work is very much a concept that's been embraced by millennials. So I'm going to need you to, you know, interpret for me. Okay, absolutely. Well, I'm here for you, for the, for the good side. I appreciate that. Although I do think sometimes you claim to not be one of the average millennials. Is that true? Well, I think I think most of us claim that we're not the average millennial. But at, at, at our core, we all are kind of, you know, fun-loving hippies in well, a way. I think I'm not the only one who has a like a view of history that there's a pendulum that kind of swings back and forth. And I think, you know, Ben and Jerry were... From the hippie era, which is has a lot of parallels, I think, to millennials of modern times, don't you? Very much, very much so. It's just, you know, no, we have smartphones. They didn't have those back then. Fair point. I love the Ben and Jerry story for so many reasons, not least of which is how it ends with them still best friends to this day. 
still speaking out for what they believe in, still getting arrested. The founders of Ben & Jerry's were a long way from their Vermont ice cream factory when they found themselves under arrest. Ben Cohen and Jerry Greenfield were reportedly busted with hundreds of other protesters at the U.S. Capitol. And leaving behind an iconic brand that they can be proud of. So how'd they do it? And more importantly, why did they do it? I like ice cream a whole lot. It tastes good when days are hot. On a cone or in a dish, this would be my only wish. Vanilla chocolate Rocky Road, even with pie a la mode. Jerry Greenfeld was born in 1951 on March 14th. And weirdly enough, his soon-to-be best friend, Ben Cohen, was born just four days later on March 18th, 1951. They met for the first time in the seventh grade. They were in a junior high school gym class. Now, I have to admit, I have no friends left from that era in my life. Uh, Do you? I don't think many of us do. No, I don't have any seventh grade friends I'm still in contact with anymore. Uh, They're still friends to this day. But here's Jerry explaining how they met. Growing up in Long Island together, uh, we were 13 years old. We met in gym class running around the track together uh, where we were the two slowest, fattest kids in the class. (laughs) There was a pack of kids up in the front, and there was Ben and me in the back. The coach was yelling at us, gentlemen, you've got to run the mile in under seven minutes. If you don't, you're going to have to do it again. And Ben would yell back at the coach, gee, coach, if I don't do it in under seven minutes the first time, I'm certainly not going to do it in under seven minutes the second time. And that was when I realized Ben was somebody I wanted to get to know. Makes me want to be friends with both of them, actually. The two were friends from that year in the seventh grade all the way through high school. At the end of high school, they went their separate ways. Ben dropped out of school altogether. He tried college for a little while but didn't like it and decided he'd be better off making pottery. Um, Alas, he made pottery that no one wanted to buy. So then he tried a bunch of other jobs here and there, none of which were overly successful. Meanwhile, Jerry went off to college, and he did do his four years. He went to Oberlin, and he got a pre-med degree. And then this happened. I was pre-med. I applied to 20 medical schools. I got rejected from 20 medical schools. I reapplied to another 20 medical schools. I got rejected from those 20 medical schools. I got another job as a lab technician in a biochemistry research lab uh, because I already had experience. Uh, So that's what Ben and I were doing. Uh, We were essentially failing at everything we were trying to do. And so we said, boy, why don't we try to get together, do something fun, be our own bosses. They decided to get together, do something fun, and be their own bosses. That was their entire why. That is not what happens in modern times. I feel like right now, I mean... Granted, this wasn't that long ago. It was the 1970s. But I feel like now everybody is so intent on finding some deep meaning and internal passion and making sure it's the passion that's going to drive them through the rest of their lives uh, that they don't just start something because it sounds fun. Yeah, they they do something and start something because they want to make a greater difference in the world. So it's, a, a you know, some kind of environmental company or or a nonprofit that does something like that. Yeah. Yeah, and I think there's something, even people who do things just because they are going to be fun, like, maybe don't really admit it anymore. Like, if you're going to Hollywood and you want to be an actor because it seems fun, you have to say something else. I care about my craft. Or, you know, like, I want to make documentaries because I want to change the way, you know, the culture of whatever, right? I mean, I think we both went into radio because it's fun. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and you're right. It's funny you mentioned that because I like to tell people I got into radio because at some point I want to be able to change the way people think. But you're right. In reality, I just like talking into a microphone. Right. I, I agree. Like, I do want to change the way people think, but I also, it's fun. It's a fun job. And it, there should be no shame in that. And I kind of love that Ben and Jerry were just these two guys who loved hanging out together ever since seventh grade gym class. They felt like they weren't really doing well on their own. So what if they got together and tried to do something fun and be their own bosses? That's a a whole other reason that, you know, still many people in modern times, I think, go into business. But it's not, again, one you hear about very often. Absolutely. And it it, it hits on that notion you said of the the passion and the greater causes. Sometimes if you just have fun doing something, you can do so much more than just what the company is. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to care about what you're doing, but not necessarily the product. Like, they didn't, they weren't passionate about ice cream. They didn't, they weren't like, oh, you know, ice cream, it changed my mother's life. You know, she came over from Russia back in the day, and it was that first bowl of ice cream that made all the difference. And that is why I'm going to start an ice cream company. They actually chose ice cream, uh, I think, because it was cheaper than a bagel company. Like, I'm not making that up. That's for reals. Like, they wanted to do bagels, and then they were like, oh, ice cream's cheaper. Let's just do ice cream. Weird side note about that. Ben actually can't taste or smell anything. He has a weird, uh, I think somewhat unusual condition called anosmia. Is that how you say it? Anosmia. Anosmia. Sounds a little nose-related. Anosmia. He has that. It's a lack of a sense of smell or taste. And so he was all about just relying on the mouthfeel of the ice cream they made, ultimately. And that's why they put their trademark chunks, allegedly, into the ice cream for him. Wow. Well, I like to think they did it for all of us because even those of us who can taste and feel and smell everything right, we like the chunks, too. I know. Yeah, it's all about the chocolate (laughs) chunks, my friend. Listen, uh, that was only the first part, right? They decided to do this business. But, you know, as we heard from Jerry himself, these were guys that were— not doing so well. Like, they were kind of failing at stuff. They weren't geniuses, and they didn't have any particular insight into entrepreneurship. They weren't coming, they didn't come from, you know, long line of entrepreneurs or anything like that. So, uh, and, and by the way, they didn't know how to make ice cream. It's not like they made ice cream every summer at camp or anything. They had no idea. What? No. So they decided they need to learn how to make ice cream first and foremost. Uh, they did that, wait for it, by taking a correspondence course. Do you even know what that is? No. Well, they I didn't. really have no idea. They, for real? Yeah. What is a what is a correspondence course? Is it kind of like a like a a post education like adult class? Okay, you're so cute right? right now. It's just adorable. I'm sorry. Well, in the in let me just let me just school you right now, <laughs> new guy Nick. In olden days, long long ago, when I was just a wee lass, and they didn't have a thing called the interwebs. They had this thing called, like, pen and paper, and you wrote to each other letters. And when you did that, it was called correspondence. Ah. So a correspondence course was literally a course by mail. Interesting. Okay, so basically, this is the old school version of watching YouTube videos. Yeah, so essentially, you you applied for this course, and they sent you information and give you instructions, and you try the instructions, and you fill out the answers, and you send it back, and you get your certification. So... They did this correspondence course from Penn State University. Uh, It was a, wait for it, $5 correspondence course. That's how much it cost. Breaking the bank. But they were broke at the time. So they actually 
kind of cheated and split one course and only paid $2.50 each to take the class. And that's how they learned to make ice cream. So then they decided it was time to go. They made their ice cream. They perfected their recipe. They got it how they wanted it. And they decided they should each invest $4,000 to start their first ice cream shop. That was the plan. Uh, Jerry had the $4,000. He invested it. Ben, the pottery maker, who seemed to be a little bit of the, you know, more, more hippie-ish of the two. Let's just put it that way. I'm not going to say he was lazier. Absolutely. He was a little bit more about the, the peace and love and, yeah, and following your whim. that's right. He, he was a little more whimsical. <laughs> that's a good way to say it. He only had 2K. So he had to actually borrow his other half, the other 2K from his uh, from his dad, which he did. And then they took their uh, 8000 and they requested an $18,000 loan from the bank. The bank was like, mm, nope. Uh, the bank only gave them 4000 So they had to make do with a total of $12,000 to start their first business. So when you think about it, first of all, you could not get a bank loan for a business like that today. Oh, there's no way. I would like to start an ice cream store. I took a $5 correspondence course. (laughs) We have $8,000 we're going to put up. No experience. uh, No business acumen to speak of. But we would like a loan. The bank would laugh you right out the door. The only way you would get that is if you put your house up as collateral. Absolutely. Period. You'd have to really do some convincing <laughs> there. Uh, they had another decision to make when they started putting this business together, and that was the name, which we now know, of course, is Ben & Jerry's. But they thought about calling the business Josephine's Flying Machine, which is based on a song, which weirdly enough was in the Titanic movie. I'm Josephine on my flying machine, and it's up she goes, up she goes. Really old, weird song. Anyway, they decided that was a little too out there, even for them. <laughs> they named it Ben and Jerry's Homemade Holdings, as we now know, Ben and Jerry's. Another little fun fact here. The two of them apparently always, to this day, when they have their picture taken, they stand in order of their names. So Ben is always on the left. When you look at the picture and Jerry on the right. Ben that is and Jerry. Glorious that they take the time to think about that. That's awesome. Yeah. Now I don't know if this is true. This could just be a rumor, but allegedly uh, they made Jerry the company president to make up for the fact that his name was second, or vice versa. They put Ben's name first because Jerry was the first president. It's unclear which of those things was true, but they were all about a partnership and being fair and all of that. So they started their their ice cream shop in 1978 with their $12,000 investment, and they did it in a renovated gas station in Burlington, Vermont. Fun fact, they had one five-gallon ice cream maker to start the business. Also, this was the 1970s before people were germ-phobic. I feel like germ-phobic is sort of a newer thing. So one of the things they used to do at their store was they would put the wooden blade from the ice cream maker out on the counter for customers to lick once Uh, they churned the ice cream. uh, I feel like today's germaphobes are all grossed out right now, like their skin is crawling. Uh, By comparison, this makes double dipping seem tame. Did you just double dip that shit? Excuse me? You double dipped the chip. Double dipped? What, what, what are you talking about? You dipped the chip, you took a bite, and you dipped again. They had one wooden dasher blade. 
They put it out on the counter for people to lick it. I hope that one person licked it and gave it back and then they washed it and reused it. But I'm really not clear on that. I mean, they were hippies after all. It was the era of free love. It may have been an early cost-saving measure. You let the customers lick it clean. You don't have to clean it. You don't have to clean it. You could be right about that. Another fun fact, you know how they have all these fun flavors now, like Cherry Garcia and Chunky Monkey and all of that? The first flavor they made, vanilla. Do they even sell just vanilla? I don't think so. I think they have, I think maybe they have vanilla frozen yogurt or something now, but no, they don't. Just plain old vanilla ice cream. I don't think so. It's very vanilla. I don't think so. Uh, In any case, that was the first flavor, and it was apparently quite delicious. Uh, The other thing they had to do, of course, was figure out how to run a business. Learning how to make ice cream was only part one. You also have to know, like, oh, I don't know, how to do some accounting, uh, how to sell stuff, how to ring it up. Well, Ben and Jerry learned how to run a business from some brochures they got in the United States Post Office. Do you know what the post office is? No, I I do know what the post office is, but... (laughs) Brochure? Do you know what a brochure is? From brochures. Yeah. Out of like the little little plastic holder things. They just grabbed a few and had a study session. Boom. We're ready to run a business. First of all, I don't think the post office any longer has brochures of that nature. (laughs) I might go back and suggest that they reinstate that policy. Right. We can have more Ben and Jerry's in the world. Sounds like a great idea. I think that's a brilliant idea. Well, they also did their business plan uh, this way. They had a friend of theirs, this guy named Jeff Furman, who was a lawyer... Uh, He helped them write their business plan. What he did was find somebody else's business plan that was for a pizza restaurant. And every time he saw the word slice, he replaced it with cone. And that was their business plan. All of this is so economical. That's where the word we should use. I love it. I think what I find fascinating about it is there are, I cannot tell you how many people I've talked to in these days now who want to start a business, who spend years trying to figure out what to call it and looking up domain names and, you know, how to write a business plan and how to, how are they ever going to appeal to venture capital and how are they going to grow it from, you know, one store to a billion stores and how are they going to make millions of dollars and how are they going to perfect their recipes? And they spend all this time, can I use the word churning since we're doing an ice cream episode, and they never actually start the business. Right. There's so much of this extra planning that goes in and sometimes you just got to shut up and do it. That's yeah. what they did. They, they scrounged up less money than they needed. They didn't have any kind of plan. They just said, you know what? If you if you churn the ice cream, they will come. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if they actually said that. Maybe that's where the Field of Dreams got the, got the line. Maybe it was from Ben and Jerry. Listen, I think that's a really important point. And I think it's something that is so lost today. If you find, first of all, if you find somebody you can partner with, that's brilliant right up front. And if it's somebody you like and you're having fun with, all the better. And then add to that just having the ability to take some risks. Just put it out there. Get some money together. They did a a friends and family round. They got dad involved. They tried for the bank when the bank said kind of no-ish. They said, all right, well, whatever. We'll make do with this amount. They didn't run crying and away and do something else. They made it work. Yeah. They put it together. and They made it work. It's all about making it work. It's about fun and it's about making it work. On that note, we're going to take a short break. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time you name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store, clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah. Snag a job's got a worker for that. 
With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S., That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash iHeart. That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. So clearly, Ben and Jerry didn't actually start the business as a social enterprise, partly because that term didn't even exist at the time. But giving back and doing good was just kind of built into who they were as people. And so it just kind of became part of the business. They were into doing good, giving back, treating people well, and making a good product right from the beginning. But not in a cheesy, we're just doing this as a marketing ploy kind of way. More of like who they just are as people. It's just the way Ben and Jerry seem to conduct themselves. Yeah, I think there's this, you know, right now I feel like this idea of doing a business for good, doing a social enterprise has become really popular. And there are some companies that are doing it well and they're doing it with, you know, genuine heart and because they really want to. And then there are others that I think just take that idea and say, okay, if we add this social enterprise element into what we're doing, if we give back to XYZ cause – people will buy our stuff, even though our stuff isn't better, our product isn't any better. And, you know, behind the scenes, we're actually treating our employees like crap. We're not really a social enterprise, but we're going to use it as a marketing ploy. That is not what Ben and Jerry were about. They were truly about doing good. And part of the way you can tell that is how they treated their employees. Right from the beginning, Ben and Jerry were great to their employees. There's um, a story that back in the 80s, And I don't know exactly when they started this. I don't know if it was from day one or it came a little bit later. They made a rule that no employee, none, including themselves, could make more than five times what the lowest paid worker earned, which meant that the CEO pay was capped at $81,000. So Ben and Jerry themselves 
made no more than $81,000 in salary. Yeah. Or any of the executive team or anyone else, which is pretty amazing. They had to eventually scrap that idea in 1994 when Ben finally retired and they had to put his replacement in. They weren't able to get um, a modern CEO for $81,000. Imagine that. Yeah, that's not exactly a competitive salary for that uh, position in the job. Market, Although, but I, I, I would do it. Just saying, <laughs> sounds like fun. It is anyway, an ice cream company. I mean, that was just the kind of the way they were. An entry level Ben and Jerry's worker was earning sixteen dollars an hour. I think this was maybe uh, in the mid two thousands already. I mean, you know, like two thousand ten ish time frame, which is like twice the minimum wage. So they've kept that up all along the way, um, and that's the kind of stuff they did for their employees from the get-go, including, wait for this, every employee was allowed to take home, is, I think, still allowed to take home up to three pints of ice cream per day. Best perk ever. Best perk <laughs> ever. And here's what's so cool about that. Ah, see what I did there? Nobody's going to take home three pints a day. <laughs> except new guy Nick. <laughs> but nobody's going to steal from them. Absolutely. Right. It's not stealing if you get to take it home. Right. So whenever you want it, you know, you can have it. That, that, so you don't have to steal it. So it sets up a culture of trust and, you know, general purpose, goodwill. I, I don't know about you. Maybe you have experienced this. I mean, look, at the radio station, there's not much we could take home. And yeah, maybe in here, much, like yeah, in this no, podcast no, no. studio, I don't know, we could take home our boss. Maybe that's about it. But, you know, I've worked for restaurants where I had to pay for my meal. like. I'm working on my feet for eight-hour shift, and I have to pay for my meal? Or like, oh, you can have half price off. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, I, I stole to... every meal I ate. I'm just saying. Yeah, I have to say, while I worked at McDonald's, I cannot tell you how many of those little nuggets I took out of the tray. And you weren't supposed no, to? Well, of course not. But yeah, I had a 20-piece a day. <laughs> did you Did you do some germaphobic stuff? Did you like lick your fingers? And... Oh, oh, gosh. Just no. checking. No, 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 no. Just checking. I mean, this idea that just like we want you to share in the wealth of the company. Take home some ice cream. You want some ice cream? Take it home. Enjoy it. That's wonderful. Yeah. Because it would be impossible to work at Ben and & Jerry's and not just want to take some home. I know there are other companies that do that. And I'm sure they weren't the first. They're definitely not going to be the last. But it's not one pint a day. It's three pints a day. It's genius. I think they understood from early on that if you treat people right, they're going to treat you right. And they're going to stick around. And they felt the same way about their customers. On their very first anniversary at their very first store in 1979, so they opened in 1978. In 1979, on their anniversary, they instituted Free Cone Day. They have been doing this on April 10th ever since. April 10th at Ben & Jerry's stores is Free Cone Day. But wait, it's not one free cone. It's as many as you want. You just have to go get back in line. And people literally line up around the block. And have free cones. You get in line, you get your cone, you go back and get in line again. While you're eating that cone. Yep. Free scoops for everyone all day long. It's not the first hundred that get there. It's the full day, and you can get back in line as many times as you want. It's free cone day. Free cone day. Free cone day. It's free cone day. Free cone day is possibly one of the greatest days ever. You get to get ice cream, and they get to get back in line and get more ice cream. We've been coming here seven years, every year. A solid five years. Yeah, my whole life. This is my second time in line, but usually I go for four times. Five. <laughs> yeah, it's like maybe six. Seven times. Free is good, and Ben and Jerry's doesn't get any better than that. And knowing that they can share that and we can all share this happiness together is such a great feeling. They did it in 1979 when they probably couldn't afford to do it. 
That's what's so genius about them. It was good marketing, but it was also goodwill. They could have done a coupon. They could have done a one free cone or a buy one, get one free like other companies do, but they just gave because that's who they were. They were about giving. And it totally, totally paid off. They care about their customers even to this day. Now, granted, things have changed in the company over time, but there's a story from back in 2012 where a guy complained about his ice cream. He says he put his spoon into his pint of Ben & Jerry's half-baked, and he was disappointed by the brownies. He said they were hard and they were powdery. So he wrote in a complaint to the company, and according to the Boston Globe, who wrote this story up, they invited this guy to take a tour of the factory. They didn't just send him a coupon for more ice cream. They didn't write him a sorry letter. They didn't ignore him, no. They embraced him. They made him a fan for life and brought him to the factory for a tour, and I'm sure plenty of free ice cream. Uh, He described it as a Willy Wonka-type journey into a factory, and he said he had the golden ticket. Because I've got a golden ticket. I've got a golden chance to make my way. And with a golden ticket, it's a golden day. So it wasn't just the customers and the employees. This is the part I think we all know and love about Ben & Jerry's. It's what they did for the community and how they became essentially one of the earliest social enterprises. In 1985, Ben and Jerry established their foundation and started giving 7.5% of their annual pre-tax profits uh, to community projects. That was unheard of at the time. The 1980s, now that was my era. I, I came of age in the 1980s, and we were greedy in the 1980s. We were about how much money we could make, you know, how high we could climb on the corporate ladder, maybe how high we could get our hair to stand up. But also, we were just about making money. That's what we were doing. And these guys were giving it away before anybody else was doing that. Unheard of and amazing. They are still doing that to this day. They do so much in the way of giving back. It's insane. They used to make, for example, all of their uh, brownies for the uh, fudge brownie ice cream and the half-baked ice cream at a place called Grayson Bakery, which was a enterprise from New York solely dedicated to giving jobs to the unemployed. They literally protested. They put slogans on their ice cream themselves. They named flavors after causes. They gave and gave and gave and gave. And that, like I said, continues really to this day. And I think most importantly, aside from their employees and their community, they had fun. They had fun from the get-go, and they put that in almost as part of their mission, too. And you can see it just looking at the containers. It's all about the fun ice cream names. They had, we talked about this, Cherry Garcia, uh, named after the Grateful Dead guitarist, of course, Jerry Garcia. And that was because some of their fans asked for it. They had Fish Food, named after the Vermont rock group (laughs) Fish. Uh, Sweaty Balls was another one, maybe a little controversial. Yes, I just said Sweaty Balls right in the middle of the Bizography podcast. I sure did. Do you remember that skit from Saturday Night Live? I have seen it. Yes, it is great. That was when Alec Baldwin was actually good looking. Oh. Well, there are lots of great treats at this time of year. Zucchini bread, fruitcake. But the thing that I most like to bring out at this time of the year are my balls. No one can resist my sweaty balls. Alec Baldwin is peach sweaty. It's a classic. Almost as good as the character he plays on SNL these days. Just saying. That was a controversial ice cream flavor. Didn't last that long. 
can see why, maybe. There was some, listen, uh, one thing about Ben and Jerry is they've always been sort of left-leaning, shall we say. This did not go over well, as you can imagine, with sort of the uh, Christian mom groups. So it didn't last very long. But it was fun, and they just meant it to be fun. Another one of their controversial ice cream names was Hazed and Confused. But they didn't mean it like that. Come on. They didn't mean it like that. It it actually got taken to mean hazing, like fraternity hazing. But it really was just about, you know, let's admit it. It was based on dazed and confused. And, you know, it might have been about something that you might do that might make you really hungry. I'm not saying. I'm just saying. Um, They did, as I said, use flavor names also to express a lot of their political and social agenda. Some of this happened even after the company uh, ultimately was sold, like Yes Pecan, Yes, we can, in reference to Barack Obama. That was a flavor. Um, They were very much in favor of gay marriage uh, and renamed one of their flavors from Chubby Hubby to Hubby Hubby in celebration of legalized uh, same-sex marriage in Vermont. They did the same thing in uh, the UK with the flavor Oh My Apple Pie. They changed it to Appley Ever After and had a picture of a gay couple on the ice cream uh, container. And they also, short for a short while, renamed the chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream to I Do, I Do in the United States. Like, I do, I do. See what I'm doing there? Um, so they were always about that. And they took chances. That was another really interesting thing, I think, about, or is still an interesting thing about the company. They take chances all the time. They're not afraid to lose a customer if it's something they believe in. Right. They're willing to step in it. And then in certain situations, like with, you know, sweaty balls, when it comes down to it, they can take a step back and admit, okay, we did it in fun. Our apologies. We'll fix it right. So it's because it's in good motive, you know. I think that it it works so well for them. Yeah, I think the way that they have always been is part of why they were so embraced and so beloved as a brand. And things throughout that whole period of the 1980s, early 1990s went extremely well. Uh, for Ben and Jerry and for their company. The company grew in those years from $4 million in annual sales to $140 million in annual sales. But can all of that do-goodery last forever? That's the question. We'll answer it next. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. 
Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does the hard parts for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billings, scheduling, and more with a home management team that provides support before, during, and after your stay so you can focus on the relaxing, hosting, and making memories with family and friends. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. With Picasso, you can stop saying someday and start building family traditions today in a vacation home you own and revisit time after time. Visit Picasso.com today to see thousands of luxury vacation home listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O.com. So in the 90s, things got a little rougher for Ben and Jerry, and the company began to struggle a little bit. Their wackadoodle alternative management style lacked some of the discipline from a fiscal perspective and a managerial perspective that the market wanted from them. One of the things that's fascinating about Ben & Jerry is they were not rich guys to start with. I mean, you often hear uh, about companies who start with money. And so when something goes wrong or they need to expand, they have somewhere to go to get money to build out. Or they go to venture capital uh, or whatever. Well, Ben & Jerry, very early on, did something that also wasn't named the way it is now back then. And that is essentially they crowdfunded. So early, early on... Uh, when they needed to expand, they did what was almost a mini IPO, and they raised money only from Vermonters because there was something in state law in Vermont that allowed them to do it, and they went public, essentially. And then not too long after that, in the 80s, they officially went public and landed on the New York Stock Exchange. So now here they are in the 90s, and they're a public company, and that means they have demands coming in from the market. They have quarterly earnings they have to report, and they have to continue to grow. And so as much as they want to do good, they also have to meet the demands of their shareholders. You know, we, we talked about how great they were to their stakeholders, being their customers, their community, their employees. But one of their stakeholders was also their actual shareholders. And that was not the part they cared most about. In fact, they really did not want to be what they called businessmen. They were turned off by that. And every time there was a discussion about growing their company – when they did the decision to do the mini-IPO, when they did the decision to be on the stock market, they almost decided not to do it each time because they didn't like that. They were these hippies from the 70s who wanted to make ice cream and have fun and come up with fun names and give money back to charity and go out and protest. So they resisted being businessmen. But ultimately, they convinced each other. I think their families convinced them. The other stakeholders convinced them to keep going and keep growing, and so they did. And in the 90s, Things started to get a little bit rocky. The company stock fell from about $34 a share in 1993 down to $17 in 1999. So not so good. I mean, there was a lot of competition by this point for, you know, ice cream and a pint in the store. Think about how many different pints there are now. Absolutely. I mean, back then, I think even back then they were fighting with, you know, some of the big dogs we know now, like Haagen-Dazs and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I feel like in the early days, Haagen-Dazs and Ben and & Jerry's were the two. Right. And now there's like 17,000 different <laughs> ones that you can choose from, right, for every kind of potential dietary need you have or diet you're on or if you want the full flavor, this kind of, ice, you know, almond milk and cashew milk and I heaven like knows. Gelatos and all the other craziness Absolutely. that's out there. Um, but that was the era when that all began. More, you know, 
people, more brands were looking at what the two of them were doing, Haagen-Dazs and Ben and & Jerry's, and saying, okay, we're going to we're gonna get in on that as well. And 1993 was really the year it started to go wrong. That was the beginning of that sort of decline for them, and it was a bad decade. But they, you know, they were persistent. They kept going, and they realized at some point, you know, they'd been at this now for quite a while, and they wanted to bring in a more professional CEO. So they, they couldn't help themselves. They had to do it sort of a fun way. So they did this Yo, I'm Your CEO essay contest. Had I only known, I would have so tried to get that. Yeah, they did literally Yo, I'm Your CEO essay contest. 20,000 people sent in essays. Uh, They ended up hiring a guy named Robert Holland Jr., who I don't think was one of the essayists. In fact, people were upset about the fact that they didn't ultimately choose someone from the essay contest. However, they were using a search firm And the way they tell the story now, anyway, one person in the final five was from the essay contest. So one person, actually, they did review all the essays, and one person made it all the way to the final five. But ultimately, they hired this guy, Robert Holland, and he made things worse. Yeah. He was a CEO who didn't have experience exactly in the business they needed. He was not an ice cream guy. He was not a food guy. He had CEO experience, but he was the wrong decision. And it made things worse. So this was why they ultimately found themselves in a position at the end of that decade, uh, you know, where they were going to have to make a decision. And they were either going to take the company back private, take it off the market altogether, or sell. And that's where they found themselves. In fact, there was an article in the New York Times around then that said they were taking the company private. And then two weeks later, a second article saying they're selling to Unilever. So that was a really chaotic time for Ben and Jerry, and I think a really troubling time for these two fun-loving guys. They had created this company that they um, didn't want to see turn into just another brand under a big corporate umbrella. And that's why they really thought about taking it back private, even though I think they were kind of tired at that point. I mean, they had been running a big company for a long time. Ultimately, they made what turned out to be a delicious decision in the end. They sold to Unilever, which might sound like they were selling out, but they didn't. They found a way to sell out without selling out. They sold the company for $326 million, which was 25% over its estimated value at the time. But the reason they chose Unilever, and they had a few different people that were bidding for the company, was because Unilever agreed to accept their terms. Their terms included maintaining forever, forever, their mission of giving back, their social enterprise mission. So they had to put in place, and it's signed and sealed, there will be a board of directors that's independent of Unilever that runs Ben & Jerry's and has responsibility for their social mission, their brand integrity, and their product quality. And that will go on as long as the brand exists. It's written into the agreement. That is an outstanding way to sell your company for a profit and yet still, you know, not completely disassociate yourself from the brand that has become you over the last three and a half decades. Yeah. That's out. That's crazy. So they found a way to build this brand for fun and to give back. And they found a way to leave this legacy even long after they're gone from the company, which, you know, they officially left the company right after that sale, basically. They sold, they did whatever transition they did, and they left. They even had doubt then. They didn't want to be sellouts. It's not who they were. But I think, you know, fast forward to 2018, they 
are proud now. And what's fascinating about what's happened between then and now, if you Google Ben and Jerry's now or Ben and Jerry now, they have been arrested time after time for protesting. They are constantly uh, out in the world giving and protesting and doing good, and they're all about it. And what's especially cool about it is they still have a really solid relationship with the company, with Unilever. And when they call on them, when the Ben & Jerry's division of Unilever calls on them to speak or to do something in partnership, they're all about it. A lot of times you hear about these companies, you know, they sell out, they do their year that they have to do as part of their contracts, and then they walk away and it's bitter. Not at all with these guys. They don't believe in bitter. For them, it's all about the sweet. In fact, I sort of feel like Ben & Jerry's is what success really looks like. You know, they're not, they're not Zuckerberg billions. They're not Elon Musk billions, but they made multi-millions and they left this incredible legacy. Right. They've they've done much more than just create an ice cream company. They've created essentially with Ben and Jerry's kind of a social cultural movement. Yeah. I think they're kind of the chunky monkey of the business world. They're nutty, they're bananas, and they're full of chocolatey goodness. All right. Now I'm hungry. That's our show for today. Bizography is produced by the iHeart Podcast Network. I'm your host, Dana Barrett. My co-host and producer is Nick Bean. Our executive producer is Christopher Hasiotis, and Josh Thane provides audio production. Have questions? Want to give us feedback or have a company you'd like us to cover? Email us at info at bizography.show or contact us on social. I'm at the Dana Barrett on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or just search for Dana Barrett on LinkedIn. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.